Happy New Year to everybody. Hey, Barbara. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your love for us and the reality of the new covenant. Lord, help us to understand your way in a better way today and just to rest more deeply in who you are and what you've accomplished. Thank you for the renewal of the mind that we are seeing what really is. As Paul said, look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. For that was, which is seen is a temporary thing, but what, that which is unseen is eternal. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for helping us see the invisible, which is the essence of faith. Help us, Lord, to just rest in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. This time of year, it's so busy and crazy that it's good to just to remember that he calls us to rest, to rest in him. It's really, it's awesome. And it's so important to have brothers and sisters around us that remind us to rest, you know, speaking the truth one to another that we can rest. Awesome. I want to share some thoughts this morning about how one of the, the, the schemes of the enemy, how the enemy works against us. And um, I think it'll be an encouragement because Paul says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We're not, we don't, we're not aware of his schemes and his devices and, and his methodologies and what he does. We can know um, how the enemy works so we're not, you know, caught unawares by his scheming and so forth. Um, Jesus actually said that we are to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. So we're to be like, in a sense, like a serpent in terms of being wise about how he acts and how we can move in wisdom and not be thrown off guard by his ways, by the enemy's ways. And I think you can, you can go back to the garden and see the the essence of how the enemy works at the, at the very garden itself. Um, the one thing about God is so cool is that, hey Sam, one thing about God is so cool is that he, he gives us in the scripture, the first time he mentions anything, it's usually a seed, it's usually the beginning of a much bigger picture, but it's the essence of what, what he's talking about, where he's bringing us. And so you can go to the garden and see little clues there about what he develops later in the scriptures, but um, it really helps to go back and see how it all began. And one of the things I want to talk about is um, the, you know, many, many people say that the temptation in the, in the Garden of Eden was that um, Adam and Eve were trying to be like God, and that's why they, they fell, because they tried to, to be like God. 
Um, and that's really not the temptation. That really wasn't the sin or the, the, the issue in the Garden of Eden. The enemy was trying to tempt Adam and Eve not to be like God because God wanted them to be like him. He made them in his image. It's God's desire that we be like him, that we um, are, you know, grow up and molded into his likeness. To be in his likeness is something good. David said, I will rejoice, O Lord, when I awake in thy likeness. So to be like God is good. That's not the problem. What the enemy was trying to do was to tempt Adam and Eve to be like God without God. That's, that, that was the temptation. He basically said, you can do this too. You can be like him if you knew what he knew. If you knew, if you had the knowledge of good and evil, if you ate of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you knew what was right and what was wrong, if you just knew the rules, if you just knew what he knew, you could do this too. And that's why he doesn't want you to eat this tree. Because if you you eat of this tree, you'll know what he knows and you won't need him because you can do this. That was the the lie of the enemy. Um, That you can be like him without him. You can be like God without God. That, That seed, that seed of a lie is in the very core of the human race. That I can do it without God. It is born in us. They took something into their body. They ate from the tree. It actually assimilated inside their body. It passed into their very being what they ate. And they passed it on to their children. It's the mystery of iniquity that is passed from child to child in the natural. And the essence of the mystery of iniquity in every human being is that I can do it without God. That's it. I can do it. I can, I can be what I was destined to be by God. I, was, I can be whatever God made me to be without him. And it takes various forms and various manifestations in our life. You know, you can see, you know, people acting these thoughts out in this way of thinking out in their lives. But that's the essence of the, of the, uh, of the iniquity that's in the natural man. Now, in the spiritual man, the new creation, there's another, there's another seed. John, 1 John says that we are born of this seed, the seed of God. This seed of God that came into you when you heard the gospel, the gospel itself being the seed, the word, Christ himself, the true seed, the essence of the seed. When you believed that Jesus took your sin away. When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that his death removes all barriers between you and God, when you believe that, the seed, you receive that seed and when you joined it with faith, the gospel joined with faith, as, the, as Hebrews says, the good news was preached to Israel, but it did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith or join it with faith. I'm talking about the gospel in type was preached to Israel going into the promised land, but it didn't help them because they didn't mix it with faith. So when you heard the seed, heard the word, and you believed that you joined it with faith, the miracle took place. You were born again. God counted you and I as righteous because of what he did. And then he was able to do something. He was able to raise us from the dead. We were dead in our sins, joined to this flesh, joined to this mystery of iniquity that says we can do it, and raised us from the dead. And he called into being that which did not exist before, a new creation. 
Now, that new creation, that new spiritual man has this seed in him, this part of the DNA of the new creation is just the opposite of the, the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of, the mystery of godliness is just the opposite in its thinking. Um, remember how Jesus said that apart from the Father, I can do zero? Jesus said, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. He said, all the words I speak, all the works I do, are not my words, are not my works, but they are the works of my Father who dwells within me. In Christ is this incredible awareness that without God, I can do nothing. Even the Son of God said that. See? So what's inside of you as a new creation is the new mindset. It's the godly mindset. It's the mindset of Christ, the mind of Christ, that says, without him, I can do nothing, which is exactly the opposite of what the enemy tempted Adam and Eve to do. He tempted them to do without God. Okay, so in the heart of the new creation, you already, you already have this in you. This is so cool. It's in you. In your new heart, you have this uh, sense of pleasure when you depend on God. Isn't that awesome? It's, when you, when you um, exercise that desire that's in you to depend on him, to look to him, to rest in him, to rely on him, when you sense that a pleasure in doing that and and a peace in doing that, it's because that's who you are. It's so cool because the unbeliever does not have that. The unbeliever doesn't know how to do that. Until they believe the gospel, they, cannot, they can't do it. They're, all, they're naturally bent to doing it on their own and figuring it out on their own and so forth. Um, okay, so having said that, this is how the enemy, this is one of the things the enemy does. Okay, first let's look at the natural the natural man first. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, is what they partook of. When they believed the lie that they could do this without God if they just knew what God knew and they partook of the tree, it was through the knowledge of good and evil that they came to understand sin. The scripture says that through the knowledge, through, through the law, is the knowledge of sin. When they said we were naked and we hid and were afraid and God said, who told you you were naked? That's a picture, the, the nakedness there is a picture of the awareness of sin, the awareness of being separated from God, not like him, because they had never had that thought before that they were not like him. They walked with him. They were with him. He was with them. The thought never occurred that they were not like him. But through the knowledge of good and evil came this awareness of, of sin. Do you realize that, the, that sin, the knowledge of sin does not come by the Holy Spirit? Sin comes through the knowledge of the law. And Romans chapter 2 says that 
the conscience, Romans 2 says the conscience will either accuse you and I or excuse you and I or praise you and I, depending on what you do, either accuse you or praise you, showing the law written on the hearts, Romans 2, showing this written on the hearts of the fallen man. That's... That phrase, writing, written on the hearts, is not a reference to the new covenant um, of, um, where God promises to write on the, the heart of the new creation, his laws and his, you know, in, his, in our minds and our hearts. That's not talking about that because this, this, is what, this is Adam and Eve writing the law on their hearts themselves. When they took, when they took of that tree, they basically said, I'm going to write it. I'm going to learn the rules, and I can, I can do this. I can keep this. I can be like God, which was the deception. God says in the, in the new covenant, the promise is, I will write it. Man can't write it. That's what happened last time. When man tried to write the law in his own heart, he ate of a tree I told him not to eat of, and it led to death because he can't do this. Okay, so when God says, I will write on their hearts, the new creation, the law, what God, the way God writes is this way. God does not write by giving us knowledge. Man writes the law on his heart by knowledge of right and wrong. God writes on the heart by life, by union with himself. He makes you a, a partaker of his divine nature. If you're a partaker of the divine nature, in the divine nature is all that the law would say. Isn't that awesome? In other words, his way of doing it is not by giving us knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. His way is to bring us into union with himself, the tree of life. The tree of life is his way. So that life, his life, can be imparted to us. And by being a partaker of his life, the divine nature is in the life. And so you know intuitively what is good and what is evil because you know him. Jesus said, he who follows me shall have the light of life. He who follows me shall have the light of life. There's a light of life that is a revelation of him, a light of him, the light of life. Then there's a light that comes from the law, but it's a light that shines back on you. And it's a revelation of the flesh and sin. That light is death. But this light, the light of life, it shines in his face to show you who he is. If you know who he is, then that which walks in front of you that is not like him, you go, that's not like him, that's not like him, that's like him, that's not like him, that's, not, that's, not like, that's like him, right? see? You, without this knowledge, without a list of what do's and don'ts and right, and, you know him. And because you know him, it's a spontaneous response to him. It's awesome. And that's why it's a rest. That's, that's, that is part of the renewal of the mind. The new believer, the new, cre- the new creation, is learning how to live this way. No longer living by just rules or laws, but living by him. In that basic foundational understanding that apart from him I can do nothing. In that place of dependency, a branch on a vine, apart from me you can do, do nothing, Jesus said. We have this growing sense of awareness of dependency and this joy, this pleasure in doing so because that's who we are. We're made, we're wired to live dependently on him. We're wired that way. And in that depending on him, 
there's the light of life that comes, a growing awareness of him. We, we see him as he really is, and we find ourselves merely responding to life without having to think a lot about it. You merely respond to situations. You respond to things without really having to think, okay, what would Jesus do in this situation? WWJD, what would Jesus do? You don't even think like that. You don't think, what would Jesus do? You just do it. And then you look back and you go, cool. <laughs> wow, wow, cool, that's cool. That's, that's, that was Jesus doing that. But at the moment, it was not like a conscious, mind-focused thing. It was a spirit intuitive response to life because you're in union with him and that's who you are on the inside that's your the divine nature inside of you so that's how the christian life is to be lived it's it's a rest where you look back and you see him having done things as opposed to trying to figure it all out and do it yourself and so forth okay now this is how the enemy works he tries to move you back into this kind of a thinking the scripture says we no longer serve god by the letter of the law, Romans 7. We no longer serve God by the letter of the law or the oldness of the letter is what the phrase says. We no longer serve God in the oldness of the letter. That means in the knowledge of good and evil. By the way, this tree is a picture of the law. Through the law is the knowledge of sin. There it is. And through the law is the knowledge of good. This is what God was saying. Do not live by the law. You cannot live by the law and find life. If, there was, if righteousness would have come by the law, Galatians says, I mean, if there was, it says, if a law could have given life, I love that. Galatians says, if a law could have given life, then righteousness would have been by the law. But no law can give life because the, the God's way is to give life, to bring us into union with himself so that we might live by him. In fact, we were made with a spirit so that the human spirit could be joined to God who is spirit. We're made to be joined to God. We're made that way. Um, so this is a picture of the law. All right. So what, what um, oh yeah, Romans 7 says, we no longer serve God in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the spirit. Now, some people will say Galatians is, you know, that's a great book, but it's, that's really all, all that's talking about is justification, you know, that we're saved by faith, uh, by grace through faith, and that's what all that book is talking about. But it's not. It's talking about a lot more than just our initial believing to, become made, to be made righteous. It's talking about serving God, living out the Christian life. I mean, you can see it in the very beginning of the letter where Paul says, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Are you going back to the law? He's clearly talking to a bunch of believers who are going back to the law to live their Christian life. He's not talking about just the initial justification um, of the believer. He's talking about a lifestyle. He says, he says why are you going back to, to, uh, to the law? Why are you going back and making yourself a transgressor? What, what are you doing? Okay, so Romans 7 says, we no longer serve God in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the spirit. Is it kind of hot in here to you guys? It's just me. Stuffy, yeah. See? Oh. Um, so anyway, we, we, we no longer serve God in the oldness of the ladder, but in the newness of the spirit. Okay. The enemy wants to get you and I back, even though you're a believer, even though I'm a believer, even though I'm joined to him, even though I have his life, even though I'm a partaker of the divine nature, he wants to get us back to living by the law, to serving, to try to get us to serve God in the oldness of the letter. 
because the law will still stimulate sin in the flesh. So he wants sin to be stimulated in the flesh. The law is not of faith. So anytime you and I live our life not of faith, it stimulates the power of sin that is resident in the body, in the members of our body, in the flesh. We never lose the power of sin in our, in our mortal body. We never lose that. It's there until the, we put off this body. It's in our members. It's in the very flesh. That's why it's called, don't, that's why it said don't walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. Because we all, we, we, you can be with God for 50 years and still have the capacity to walk in the flesh because you're in the body. Now, the moment you and I leave this body, we'll be free of that, that earthen vessel. Now we have this treasure in, in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power that's flowing through these earthen vessels is clearly seen to be of God, not of ourselves, because we couldn't pull this off. Only God can pull this off through these bodies, and that's how he set it up so we would live in dependence on him, and he would be glorified in our weakness. He would be manifested strong. Okay, so we all have the capacity to be tempted to live after the flesh or to try to serve God after the oldness of the letter. And the enemy wants us to get back to trying to serve him by law. The moment you do that, then sin becomes the focus. Because when you start thinking what's wrong, what's right, uh, how, do I, how do I please him and, uh, you know, I need to do in order to be, when you start thinking like that, in order to, if I start thinking I, I need to do something in order to be someone, then you, you're off track because you already are someone. You already are righteous. You already are a new creation. You already are his son, his daughter, an heir of all things. You are those things. And so it, the Christian life is not a matter of doing in order to be. It's a matter of awakening to who you are, which is awesome because that's, that's, that's God. Only God could could do that, to actually raise us from the dead, call into being that which did not exist, and then say, okay, let this light permeate your mind as your mind is renewed to what is. You awaken to who you are and your destiny and your relationship with God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because you're not trying to get somewhere. You're basically waking up somewhere, which is awesome. We're waking up somewhere. That's why Paul says, awake and Christ shall give thee light. Okay. So when you live by the letter of the law, you'll, you'll find yourself focusing on sin because that's what the law does. The law focuses on sin. The light that comes from the law is a light that points back to you, to your flesh, to sin. The light that comes from the life of Christ points to God. It's a revelation of him and who he is and then who you are in him, which is awesome. And then what the enemy does when you start focusing on sin, the next thing, when you commit sin, because when you focus on sin, you end up committing sin, then the second thing he does, as he did in the Garden of Eden, he brings condemnation. Red is better anyway. He brings condemnation. Remember the enemy is called the accuser of the brethren? Now what happens is the accuser joins with your conscience. Remember the scripture says in Romans 2, the conscience accuses us or praises us, depending on what we do. Remember this too, saints, your conscience is very limited. Every fallen person has a conscience. You know, the conscience is very limited. The conscience only responds to what you do. It cannot reveal who you are. It takes um, the revelation of the spirit to show us who we are, but anybody's conscience will respond to what they do. 
either accusing them in their conscience or praising them. That was, that was a good deed. I did a good thing. My conscience says that's good. Or that was a bad deed. I should not have done that, that, the conscience. So what the enemy does in this natural way of living, the enemy will condemn and he will join with your conscience and accuse. You'll accuse yourself and he will accuse you. That's his, his plan. Now what that leads to is shame. Adam and Eve felt shame. It leads to fear. The first mention of fear in the scripture is after this happened. They begin to be afraid of God. And it leads to, um, how can I, I want to say hiding. It's a, yeah, that's, gonna be, that's coming up later. That's exactly right. That's the biggie. That's the biggie. Um, shame, fear, hiding. He, he hid from God. He said, um, I'm, um, I'm hiding. I, um, I'm afraid. I was afraid of you. Um, I, I, I saw I was naked and I was ashamed. All those things. Now, that's how the enemy in condemnation tries to bury you with shame, with fear, afraid of God's judgment, um, trying to hide things from God, all that. Okay, before we wrap this up, we're going to talk about how, real quickly, how the gospel blows all of this out of the water. And that's why we need to just continue to rest in what God has done in Christ, because it's awesome, what, it's awesome what God has done. Okay, now the third thing is this, real quick. What Teddy, I think Teddy said isolation. Yeah, it's, it's rejection is the first thing, rejection. Rejection. This, was reje- this happened in the garden. It was a rejection by God because of sin. The enemy wants to get you to this place, a sense of rejection. That leads to a sense of separation or isolation. This is, this is the enemy's goal. He starts here to tell you, you know, you can do this if you just knew the rules. If you knew what was right and what's wrong, you can do this. You eat of this as a believer, I'm saying, you know, symbolically. If you try to serve God in the oldness of the letter, you become sin-focused. And that's why you hear a lot of preachers and teachers out there that are into holiness and so forth, but they do it, they teach holiness through the letter of the law, and the people are very sin-conscious, very sin-conscious. It's all about sin. Um, I heard this joke a long time ago where the, this, one of our past presidents, I think President Grant, or one of the presidents, he went to church, came back to the White House. His wife didn't go to church that Sunday, and she, he came back, and she's in the White House, and he said, she said, well, what did, the, what did the preacher preach on today? And um, he said, sin. And she said, well, what did he say about it? And he said, he's against it. <laughs> but that's really, you know, a lot of preaching is just about sin. And how they're against it. You know, it takes no revelation. It takes no revelation to preach sin and preach that you're against it. That's in the natural mind. It's, it's already there. Um, so anyway, so the enemy wants to start here, focus on sin. That brings the condemnation when you and I fail. Because if you're living in this way, you're looking at yourself as, as someone who's trying to do in order to be. Or someone who's trying to do in order to win God's approval. Or someone who's trying to do to make him happy, to please him. 
He's not pleased with me if I'm not doing, see? So all that leads to condemnation. That leads to shame, fear, hiding. And then a sense of rejection begins to work in you like God's rejected me. I get a flat tire in my car and I think, oh, that's God. He's mad at me. Or, you know, stupid stuff like that. And it leads to a sense of separation. Now, this is where the enemy wants to bring you and I as a believer a sense of separation, a sense of alienation, a sense of isolation. And the truth is, you're in union with God. So it's a whole, the whole thing is a lie. So even in your, in your feelings, if you feel separated from God, if you feel isolated, if you feel rejected, it's a lie. Because the reality is you're in union with him. And you are as he is, as righteous as he is, John says a partaker of the divine nature. So it's, it's imperative that we remember the truth and not get on this track that leads to a fleshly way of, of viewing God. Now, the gospel is so awesome. God says, no, I have made you accepted, not rejected. I have made you accepted in the beloved son. Accepted. He was rejected on the cross for us. He, he felt the rejection. He became sin for us that we might become the righteous, righteousness of God in him. He felt the, the sense of rejection from the Father because he became sin for us. But he felt that rejection so that we would never have to feel it again. And now in him we are accepted in the beloved son. If we're accepted and not rejected... This never happens. This is the feeling of separation. What happens is as we grow in this awareness of acceptance because of Christ, we also grow in the, our sense of union, knowing that he is always with me. It's awesome. So at, so at that point, the gospel blows this out of the water, just totally just shuts this thing down where the enemy is trying to make you feel rejected. On this level, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's no, there is no shame. There is no fear of judgment. There is no reason to hide. We can go boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. There is no fear of judgment. Scripture says perfect love has cast out all fear. This amazing, unconditional love of God has cast out all fear. We're not afraid of God anymore. Need, need not be. And there's no shame. He experienced all of this for us. He experienced the shame. He experienced the fear, um, in a sense, the, the, uh, the judgment itself he experienced. And he experienced this, this uh, you know, this almost like a, a hiding of God from him. You know, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He felt, he sensed, he felt all of that on the cross for us so we would never have to feel this again. Never, ever. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the true gospel totally, from reverse, takes care of all this. So awesome. And then finally here, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. I used to read that, sin shall not have dominion over you, and I used to think, like, does that mean I I stop sinning? And the answer is no. It doesn't mean you stop sinning and never sin again. The dominion of sin is bigger than that. The dominion of sin is a dominion where, where you cannot escape its condemnation. You cannot escape its authority over you. You cannot escape its, its, uh, 
It's got you on the track of, uh, toward judgment because of you and, you and I once were sinners. And we couldn't enter heaven because we were sinners. So the, re- the release of the dominion of sin from us is tied to the phrase, for you are not under law but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Therefore, there is no condemnation. There's no sense of rejection. There's no shame, no fear, none of this. That's the dominion of sin. This is the dominion of sin right here. But now in Christ, because we're under grace, not under law, sin shall not have dominion over us. So now the gospel then moves, it just slowly eats up all this junk by the enemy. And then at this level, what the, what the gospel does, it shifts your attention from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life, to the right tree. And you begin thinking differently. You begin thinking that I live by another. I love this phrase. I say it a lot. Um, we rest in the righteousness of another that we might live by the life of another. And it happens in that order. If, you, if, you, if we grow in our rest of another's righteousness, and that means that when I sin and when I blow it as a believer, I don't let that sin disturb my rest because I'm not in union with God because of my righteousness. I'm in union with God because of the righteousness of another. Isn't that awesome? So resting in another's righteousness is actually, it happens, it's all by faith, but where you really grow in that is when, it, when you blow it. At the moment, at the moment of, that we blow it is when we really exercise the faith muscle. You don't really need much faith muscle to, uh, to believe that you're righteous when you're doing good things. It's when you do bad things. When I do bad things, when I blow it, when I lose my temper or when I blow it somehow, then that's, the, that's when he wants us, okay, okay, exercise it. Exercise that muscle. Believe. This is, this is the point right here. That this is the point right here when you're feeling gross. You're feeling terrible about yourself. You're feeling that you really blew it. This is the, this is the point that will, it will really help the faith muscle. Believe right now. Believe right now that you're as righteous as me. God is saying that to you right now. He's saying, come on, don't be afraid. Peter says, oh Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter, Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Believe. Believe only. Believe. Believe right now. This is the point. It's easy to believe when you're doing right. This is what I want you to really believe right now, right now, right now when you blew it. When you blew it. Right now. Right now. Believe it. Are you serious, God? I feel like I have to do penance. I feel like I have to do something. I have to run around the block and get sweaty and, and lift weights or something or stop my foot on the, on a, stop my toe on, on something or have some pain. Or, I mean, no, no, no. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to try to fix it yourself. You've got to, at this point, at this moment, believe, believe, believe. Stand up. You're my son. Don't be afraid. When you do that, the faith muscle, so to speak, is developed. And you go, wow, God, you're so good. The reason why the church is so anemic in terms of faith is because the church has been given a steady diet of law and condemnation. And the faith is rarely even exercised. They don't even know what to believe. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know that, that God actually has taken their sin away. How can they exercise faith? 
And what happens in the miracle of this whole way of God is that when we rest in another's righteousness and we exercise the faith muscle, so to speak, at the very point when we blow it and we rest and we believe we are as righteous as God is, even though I just did that, even though I just thought that, even though I just, you know, whatever. When we do that and we, we grow in resting in another's righteousness, then the miracle happens. We begin to live by another's life. And you find yourself responding to life intuitively in love. His awesome love. You love everybody. You, you have a tender heart toward people. You'll be in the grocery store and you'll see somebody checking out and you'll see this la- little lady that's trying to count her pennies and you, you're thinking, God, I wish I could help her somehow. You know, you'll have pity on people You'll in a good way. You'll, you'll have tender hearts toward people who are needy around you. You'll, you'll see needs and you'll try to meet them. You'll try to encourage. You'll give a word of encouragement. It's God. It's not because you're living by the law because that's the, the right thing to do. It's because you're resting in another's righteousness so you're now living by another's life and it flows and you look back and you say, wow, that was Jesus. I didn't even think about that. I just, I just did it. I just did it because that's who you are and that's what he wants. Isn't it awesome? But this is how the enemy tried to get us in the very beginning, wrapped up with this living by law, condemnation, sense of rejection. And what Jesus did was totally reverse all of that. And now where they were, they were kicked out of the garden, now the door has been opened again. He called himself the door, Jesus. I am the door. He is the tree of life. He is the door. He is, the scripture Hebrews says, his body is actually the veil. Hebrews chapter 10 says his body was really the real veil. When he died on the tree and the veil was rent from top to bottom, that was a picture, the veil was a picture of his body. His body was actually the veil. So through his death, the veil is opened. He's saying that through his death, through his body being offered up, thou hast prepared for me a body, flesh and blood, He has opened the door that no man can shut. Awesome. And we're better off than they were in the garden. We don't just go back to the garden. We are better off than Adam and Eve. We don't just return to innocence. We are a new creation. We're not even of the earthly creation as as Adam and Eve was. We are sons and daughters. They were not sons and daughters of God. They were not heirs of God. They were not seated with them in heavenly places. They were not joined to God. God was outside of them, walking with them. They had not eaten of the tree of life yet. Had they eaten of the tree of life, they'd have been in union with him. They had had none of that. So we're not just back in the garden. It's It's a higher existence. No, you're not. You shall even judge angels. I mean, this is awesome. And that's the reality that is now in you and in him as the truth is in him and now in you, the scripture says. As the truth is in him and now in you. Awesome. So cool. His ways are higher than our ways, the scripture says, as the heavens are above the earth. And this is the main work of the Holy Spirit to renew our minds to his ways and to his truth and his son and what he has done. The shield of faith will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Every lie. The shield of faith. Exercise that faith muscle. When you blow it, that's when you can really do some good. 
You can really do some good with that muscle. It's easy to believe when you're doing everything right. It's, it's really good exercise to believe when you blow it. Run to God, not away. Boldly into his presence. It's awesome. The enemy hates it. Because he was cast out of heaven, you were placed in heaven. He hates it. He was cast out, you were placed in. And he wasn't cast out until the ascension. He had access to the throne to accuse you. In the days of Job, he was cast out at the ascension. That's when he was cast out. Because he, God could not cleanse the heavens until he first cleansed you, the sons of Abraham. He cleansed, Paul said, heavens and the earth. He cleansed it all. God does not redeem the angels, Hebrews says, but the sons of Abraham, the believers, you. He cleansed everything and then he put you there and put the enemy under your feet. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Oh, I love that. If I be lifted up between heaven and earth, 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 I will draw all men to me through this door to heaven, to God. Awesome. So awesome. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these things. As you were lifted up between heaven and earth, that you might join heaven and earth. What a mystery. What an awesome thing. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Help us to use that muscle of faith and develop our faith, Lord, as we grow in faith, from faith to faith, from glory to glory, resting in another's righteousness that we might live by your life. Amen.